0: Welcome Welcome to to Hearts and and Other Sex parts, Parts, a podcast about redefining yourself and your relationships. We're your queer hosts. I'm Keely C. Helmick, licensed professional counselor. I'm Stella Harris, certified intimacy educator and sex coach. This podcast strives to represent our own perspectives as individuals, as well as our professional experience. We make all of our conversations, body, sex, and kink positive. Our goal is to include voices beyond our own experience whenever possible. Our pronouns are she, her. For every guest we have on the show, we invite them to share their pronouns as well. One of our goals with this podcast is to dispel harmful myths about sex.
1: One that I've been hearing a lot lately is that masturbation will interfere with partnered sex. I've heard that that it will exacerbate premature ejaculation and also that it's a waste of sexual energy that you should save for your partner. Let's break some of that down. Okay. Keely, have you heard some myths about masturbation?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many different things I hear. I'm, I mean, I just point blank hear folks who don't masturbate at all. Mm-hmm. And then the idea that, you know, there's this idea that even masturbating is cheating mm-hmm. on your spouse. I've been asked that on college campuses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that... This link, well, and then there becomes this like link to people who don't think that pornography is okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then they link masturbation to pornography. So like yep. if they're only, so if they're masturbating, it has to do with pornography, which of course it can involve pornography, but it doesn't have to, but there's this mm-hmm. link to it. So if I'm masturbating, then I'm using pornography and then I'm bad or cheating or doing something that's not good.
1: Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons, you know, you bring up that some people don't masturbate at all. And while that's certainly fine, if it's not a thing that you're called to do, I think it's worth examining some of the reasons there. And if that is shame-based or knowledge-based or just genuinely not an interest, because knowing your own body in that way is one of the best tools you can have for communicating with a partner what you like.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting. And I think, you know, it is important to point out folks um how they're raised mm-hmm. like and what gender they were raised as. Mm-hmm. And so it is a different experience for folks um oftentimes people with penises and people with vaginas have much different experiences. Yeah. I I have to say that when we're talking about the masturbation thing, that I the times that I've heard about never masturbating has all been folks with vaginas. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that's only the case. But mm-hmm. I definitely notice that that is a different yeah. piece to it. I
1: feel like I've heard, yeah, more of the never piece um, from folks with vulvas and vaginas and more of the um, like guilt, shame, I'm taking something away from my partner or this is going to mess up my sexual functioning from folks with penises.
0: Yeah. And and so much of that that's the thing is like it's it's hard it's always hard to know like obviously we don't want to encourage if someone doesn't want to do something we don't encourage them to do that like right. want them to be owners of their own experiences. And it's so hard in my brain it gets so tied to this idea that bodies are bad and sex is bad mm. and and the religious Mm -hmm. Beginnings of these ideas. Yeah. There's a strangely named concept that isn't quite what it sounds
1: like, uh, known as the genital hole. And rather than that being a reference to an orifice, it's this idea that when we talk or think about bodies, there just ends up being this blank spot. You know, so if you think about you go and get a professional massage and there's this big, oh, we don't touch this area, you know, and when we're thinking about, you know, if you're in a bathing suit or just there becomes a sort of silence and shame around certain body parts that don't get talked about, don't get explored. And so even if someone isn't brought up with explicit messages saying this is wrong, the implicit messages from our culture seep in.
0: Yeah. And the terminology, the like basic down there,
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I private parts down there. I was at a birth.
0: Okay. At a birth, a person birthing a child out of their vagina and the doctor did not use technical terms for a vagina. Like I, (laughs) what did they say? They're like, Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, be touching down there. And I was like, they And so, of course, being me, I pipe and I'm like, so are you touching her asshole or her vulva or inside her vagina? Mm-hmm. And the doctor just kind of looks at me.
1: And do you think that was for the doctor's comfort or do you think that's what they assumed the patient would be more comfortable with?
0: I, you know, I think it's something that's trained in them towards the patient Though I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time imagining a person who delivers babies. People that deliver babies do that, you know, have thousands and thousands and thousands of vaginas, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I it's hard for me to imagine that it was them, but this like cultural norm that they they think that it'll be better to use that word instead of saying the word vagina.
1: Right. And ideally, we want our medical professionals modeling that language and behavior and teaching folks whenever possible what to expect from their bodies, how their bodies work. I've had people in my classes who tell me afterwards, you know, folks in their 50s, 60s say, you know, I've had three children. You know, I am just now learning these things that you're teaching me in anatomy and just mad that none of their doctors told them that none of their teachers told them like that they shouldn't have to be learning at that point. Having having used those parts so much, just now learning, you know, what all the pieces are and how they work.
0: Yeah, and I, I, so it just wraps, it comes back to this idea of masturbation that even this almost, well, a complete disconnect. Mm -hmm. So if we're not using a name and we're ignoring or being trained to not pay attention to this part of our body, Mm -hmm. then the idea of, you know, using it for pleasure, like touching it for pleasure is like, it's just so disconnected.
1: Right. And if it's not something for our own pleasure, then that ends up feeding into the idea that this is something our partner
0: has ownership over. Yeah. Which goes into consent. Mm -hmm. Or just this... This almost, like, not full consent, but not non-consent. Like, this gray area that, like, I have people come in and talk about will be like, well, I mean, I did not want to have sex. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I actually, some, um, another therapist was telling me, a person was talking about the difference between permission and consent. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fast. And I'm thinking, okay, mm-hmm. what about permission, consent, and enthusiastic consent? Yeah. And a variation of all three. Yeah. And a lot of the questions we ask as check ins
1: are permission questions. The like, is this okay? And can yeah. I kiss you? And it, it feeds back into that culture I- idea that like one person has the sex and the other person is trying to get it from them. And that you just sort of keep going until you get a no rather than having the enthusiastic participation of both people.
0: Yeah, and then that, and and everything we're talking about circles back again to this this to masturbation because mm-hmm. if if you don't know your own body and you're not mm-hmm. connected to what feels good, then there's this yeah. like, oh, well, yeah, just do whatever. Like, yeah. I'll, if if I don't like if I don't like it, then I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. versus like, this feels really good to me. This doesn't feel so good to me. Oh, I'm willing to try this. Let's see if this feels good to me. And that's unfair on both sides because expecting our partners to mind read
1: because we don't know what we want and don't know what to ask for is putting the partner in, in a really
0: tough situation as well. Yeah, it's like these, yeah, these these roles that, these assumptions that come into play, the assumptions of, of being sexual with someone that, you know, that someone's going to instantly know what you like, mm-hmm. or yeah, read your mind or have any mm-hmm. idea of that. It sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's part of what I enjoy in,
1: in like queer sex spaces and in conversations around queer sex that some of this, I think gets turned on its head, um, because there are fewer easy to access culturally prescribed notion of what that sex is going to look like. You're sort of forced to do more talking about it
0: true and yes i agree with you there is i think in general there is definitely more open conversation and there's not certain expected ways to have sex and 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 there is still um you know i'm hearing hearing more and more about folks that there there is these struggles
1: Oh but yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not without its complications. <laughs> Goodness knows both of our and client rosters will speak to that. And it's a different, <laughs>
0: you know, it's like what I hear is, is with the change. you know, for folks who uh, are transitioning, you know, mm-hmm. for folks that yeah. are non-binary or trans or in, in their transition and as humans figuring out what sex is for them that they'll not feel okay telling their, they're worried that their partners will leave. Yeah. Because they, um, the way they see their bodies isn't how their partners are seeing their bodies. Mm -hmm. And then this reinforcement of body dysphoria because they're like, well, I'll just let... Again, this idea of permission versus consent mm-hmm. versus enthusiastic consent. Of like, oh, well, I just let my partner touch me there because she likes it. And I'm worried that if I tell her not to do that, then she won't want to be with me.
1: Well, and how often really is that something the partner wants to do? And how often is it assumptions on both sides and no one is enjoying themselves? Because I've had either couples end up in my office after decades together or sometimes one person after a relationship has ended or someone has passed away and they come in and say, like, well, I've just realized that, like, my partner was never actually enjoying the sex that we were having. Mm. And most people feel awful when they discover that. Most people want their partners to be enjoying the things that are happening. um, And that can be really painful to find out they've just been going along with
0: it. So, learning yourself, (laughs) learning about your body, and communicating is the main takeaways. Yeah. What is another myth that you've been thinking about?
1: Well, one that has come up for me several times in my work is um, this sort of mixture of uh, sexual functioning and masturbation. Um, So folks who are concerned about... How long it takes them to ejaculate, either um, they think it's too soon or too late, um, or folks who are worried about the consistency of erections. And again, a lot of this comes from cultural, uh, cultural expectations of what sex looks like, um, because the models we have for that are unrealistic. I'm not at all anti porn, but I don't think porn is sex ed. And when people see how bodies behave in porn and expect their body to do that, you know, that is like trying to learn to drive from action movies. But for some reason, you know, in all of these other areas, we can distinguish what is meant to be fantasy. And then with porn, we think this is real life. Um, So anything to do with, say, a, a right amount of time. Um, before an orgasm there's really no such thing there's not like this one perfect mark and then you are too soon or too late Um, but that's one of the main things people reach out for help with and something that I've been hearing lately that I just wanted to have a broader audience to to talk to about is this idea that if we're masturbating that that's somehow going to interfere with the partnered sex that we're having. Mm-hmm. So in addition to masturbation being great for learning what you like, it is also a really great training ground for partnered sex. So yeah. for example, if you want to try and last longer, one of the best ways to do that is to you know, practice those elongating techniques when you're by yourself, doing like start and stop methods and and sort of learning what it feels like when you are close to orgasm. So you can pause at that moment and, and learning what all of that feels like. And people are doing the opposite and not masturbating and only having partnered sex. Well, if you're that much more pent up and it feels that much more high stakes, you are setting up a scenario in which the thing you are trying to avoid is then more likely to happen. Um, So that that's one that I I definitely want to get out there for more folks.
0: Yeah, and this this idea of, like, being, you know, coming too fast or coming too soon or mm-hmm. taking too long or this, like, timeline that's etched mm-hmm. really becomes so genital-focused. Yeah. The sex becomes so genital-focused and orgasm-focused.
1: Yeah, and that's not just folks with penises. You know, no. from folks with penises, I hear often worried about coming too soon and then what I hear from folks with vulvas is they're worried about taking too long or they're avoiding letting a partner go down on them because they're afraid that it's going to take too long and that person is going to get bored and again there's all of this shame and worry about length of time and you're absolutely right it's because we're acting like the whole point of sex is you know this race to orgasm in the perfect amount of time and that just sounds boring and awful when you think of it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing that I that I hear people saying is, you know, that I mentioned in, in the intro that that masturbation is somehow wasting arousal or wasting erotic potential, as though we, it's this finite resource. And what seems to be more true for more people. Um, is that it's more like a muscle that you are exercising. And if you want to be more turned on more often, practicing getting your body in that place, knowing what works to turn you on, and exercising those muscles and exercising those pleasure pathways. Um, And it seems to be sort of like, like the coffee shop phenomenon. When two coffee shops end up on the same block, both of them do better. Well, it turns out if you are masturbating more, you are often then having more partnered sex as well. Rather than the opposite.
0: Yeah, that's a good myth to dispel. Because I think that is, I mean, that's even in some of the older literature. Mm -hmm. And that that idea is definitely around of like, oh, I'll save it. You know, I won't, I won't, I'll save it. Yeah. We have
1: so much saving when it comes to sex.
0: Yeah, like it, like it, you're hoarding it and then you're going to, like, you know, hand it out.
1: We're dragons (laughs) sitting on our sex hoards.
0: Yes. Versus, like, share and enjoy, and, and 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 that idea of sex being for ourselves, right? That you can have a solo sex life. You can you have when you know you you're being like, oh, I haven't had sex in you know weeks or months or whatever. You know, someone who happens to be single might say that. It's like, well, are they just talking about? partnered sex I mean even the term sex is about is assumed partnered right and having lovely just your own thing going on for yourself
1: yeah yeah I've changed the way I ask questions around that I will say things like sex with yourself or others Mm -hmm. so that people know what I mean because you're right I I believe that sex includes all of the things and I know that people will misunderstand me if I don't clarify in that way
0: yeah it's confusing It's, I mean, it's, it's confusing is not the right word. It's just, it's frustrating. Yeah. And it puts these things in, it's like a hierarchy, like a hierarchy of sex and like what is valid. Yes, there's absolutely a hierarchy of sex. This is, I I wrote a
1: piece saying, I don't believe in the term foreplay because it, it contributes to that hierarchy that somehow the kissing and the touching and maybe the hand sex, maybe even the oral sex is somehow only valuable as a prelude to, you know, penetrative, orgasm-focused sex, not to mention, um, like you were saying, solo sex and all of these other sorts of things that we can do, but anything that is juicy and feels good and makes you happy and makes someone else happy, that's all a valid form of sex.
0: Yeah, and I think when when that can be further embraced, you know, I, because something else that comes up, very often is, you know, the term is mismatched libido. Mm -hmm. And so what, but when, when folks come in and use that term or talk about one person wanting sex more often, you know, one of the questions, one of the first questions I ask is finding out what, what's going on, you know, just like in a general day, like how much they're touching, how much they're kissing. And definitely for some, you know, for some couples they'll say, oh, they really don't touch much at all. Mm -hmm. But there's often couples that will be very affectionate, very touchy, kissy, lots of physical stimulation. And the frustration is that we'll then I have to ask them, like, what do you define as sex? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're they're doing all these things, or what you would term, you know, as you know, quote unquote foreplay, or you know, they're mm-hmm. they're being very sexual with each other. It's just it's not the one of the partners is not getting the type of sex they want, and so we have mm-hmm. to redefine that. Oh, you mean the type of sex that you're you you would yeah. like more of this type of sex? Because really sounds like the two of you get along great and are really touchy and kissy and huggy and lovey.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is one that I've seen across sexualities as well, even for folks where penetrative sex is you know, a non-issue, not the parts that folks have. I've seen people defining sex as things like everybody has an orgasm mm-hmm. and then feeling like sex was a failure or like it wasn't sex if one of the people doesn't have an orgasm. And putting that kind of pressure on having an orgasm is one of the best ways to make sure you're not going to. <laughs> yes. So,
0: yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, so I think as we're talking about myths, we're just re, re, and, um, I'm gonna cut that and redo it. When we're talking about sex, we're bringing back into the conversation, that when we have these defining labels and these specific ways of doing things, that's really hindering our experiences Mm -hmm. with somebody else or with ourselves. So it sounds like we want people to be more open-minded and to talk more. Yes, talk more, talk more. more. Yes, just like imagine what the world would be like if we just explored. Yeah. Like took time. And that you know, I talk about uh, mindfulness and sex, mm-hmm. and that's a really interesting one to talk about as well because you bring in you bring in that component of being present, you know, taking time and being present and exploring, and you know, sex being fun and and mm-hmm. and the term you know playing, you know, just like yeah. just investigating, being curious, and for some people being fully in your body is so hard. Mm-hmm. So then the term being mindful and present takes on a different meaning for different folks Yeah, and it's not safe for some folks to be in their bodies. Mm-hmm. So working around that dynamic as well. So it sounds like some things we'd really like folks to take away from this
1: conversation is that, masturbation can be part of self-care it's part of a healthy sex life with yourself and with other people and we want people to feel free to be playful and
0: explore explore play be open-minded yeah, <laughs> yeah. don't put yourself in a box or don't put sex in a box mm-hmm. unless it's a toy <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sadist vixen, sensual temptress, role play specialist, CBT and electrical play enthusiast, bondage fanatic, erotic hypnosist. Mona has been a professional dominatrix and BDSM educator since 1995. She owns a fully equipped boutique fetish space not far from downtown Portland, which includes both traditional dungeon space as well as a soft space for those who prefer domestic play. She also wrote a book last year called Kinky Sex Tips for Curious Girls, a BDSM activity book for beginners. Welcome to the show, Mona. Welcome, Mona. Hey. I always love when other people put together my bio because I'm just like, who am I? Wow, that sounds really cool. <laughs> a little identity crisis there to start the show. <laughs> uh, so we've worked together a bit because I have come and taught at your new Fetter space a few yes, times. And it is we
2: love having you come teach.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It's beautiful there. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the space?
2: Um, it is we call it the deviant brainchild of Mistress Viola Parker and myself. Um, and it is a space to destigmatize um BDSM, to teach approachable, uh shame free kink. Uh we offer one-on-one coaching, we offer private rentals for like date night. Um we offer, I do photography. So I do, uh, photo sessions in there. Sometimes I even do coaching with women who want to learn about their submissive or dominant persona. And so it's sort of a photography slash coaching situation where we pick out outfits that they like and toys that they like, and I walk them through everything and it makes it less, um, awkward than just standing in front of the camera Mm -hmm. and also just something to talk about.
1: And, uh, it's a very natural way to go through a coaching session, I find. That's fantastic. I've sent so many clients to Bedar photographers as a way to, like, step into that kind of confidence mm-hmm. and sexiness. It's going to yeah. be really powerful. Yeah. Um,
2: but then we also rent to other photographers. We rent to content producers. um we have classes, we are aiming to eventually have one class a week, right now we have about one class every other week, and the big thing with our space is it's femdom, fem-led, and um, just focusing on women's pleasure, and even if that involves penis, because you've taught uh, penis and prostate. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the exact name of the class. (laughs) So it's not, you know, that we hate men. It's just that we think that women's sexuality gets sort of brushed aside and that women's pleasure gets brushed aside. So we try to focus on that.
0: Do you have any evenings? speaking of female, um, focus, do you have evenings that are like queer and either trans inclusive or how do you when you are advertising is it apparent for folks all all female folks uh no when we we
2: advertise we advertise the different class the Uh and the different class um because there's a wide variety of classes we don't have strictly uh trans nights or uh queer nights we try to be very inclusive though so Uh um we try to. Oh, this is hard to answer.
1: Um, <laughs> there like, have nah. been folks of all genders in the classes yeah. that I've taught so far. Yeah. So, and
2: we, we try to definitely, um, you know, and we are constantly policing ourselves with this because it's very, very hard. Um, both Viola and I come from, you know, the land of dominant female, mostly submissive male. So, mm-hmm. we are constantly catching ourselves and trying to do better about making sure that everything is inclusive, making sure that we're talking about, um, when we do our CBT class, it is talking about people with cock and balls or people with prostates, um, and not having it be as gendered. Mm -hmm. Um, so we just try to incorporate that into our every being, (laughs) Which is, you know, difficult
0: and we hope that people do correct us when we do bad. But it sounds like, well, and all we can ask of ourselves or other people is for, yeah, you're just we're all figuring this stuff out. It's yeah. great that, you, that the two of you are thinking about that. And it sounds like it's a really, I look forward to seeing, I haven't seen it yet. I'm <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> I hope you come to the open house. Well, before, yeah, before, um, before we started the episode, you were saying, um, that you have an open house coming up and we'll talk about it again in the end, but yeah, you're having an open house coming up.
2: We're going to do quarterly about uh, open, open houses head. so that yeah. people can come and see the space and see that it's, there are scary things, but it's not a scary place. And we can put a link to whatever the the upcoming one we, is. Yeah. You yeah. should not. always <laughs> go to our events page and see what events we have. We try to have um, a variety of classes. Um, we try to do community events. We try to do fundraisers for um, sex-positive
0: peoples and uh, politics. So... Do you want to spend just a moment talking? Well, I wanted to ask what, um, I don't know what CBT stands for cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> I know that's what I was, I
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, okay. I don't think that's what
2: she's meaning. <laughs> <laughs> <my> um,
1: favorite.
2: <laughs> cock and ball torture or cock and ball
0: torment. Gotcha.
2: Okay, so and CBB clarify. is cock and ball bondage.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. <sighs> And then we were also saying when you differentiate between um, traditional dungeon space and soft space for those who prefer domestic play, when you say soft space, what is that referring to?
2: A soft space is just more of a bedroom setting um, for people that enjoy, you know, maybe this leather and bondage and restraints is not their thing, but they enjoy like a role reversal where they've misbehaved and they're getting a spanking. Um, Maybe there's cross-dressing. I do adult baby play. Um, so any of those, uh, that's why we call it a fetish space Mm -hmm. rather than a dungeon because there is a dungeon, but there is so much more to it than just a dungeon.
0: Okay. So. Cool. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into, how, how, what led you to being a dominatrix? Um, (laughs) I, uh, was in
2: college and every, like... I just wasn't like I sort of I changed my majors a bunch of times, um, and I was going to a small college in San Francisco, and so by the last year, I a had burnout and b had to get a job, and I'd had a job where I could make sort of my own hours, but as I was going into my last year of college. Like it's like you have to take these two classes and one is like late night and one is like first thing the next morning and like there's just there was just no straight job and somebody's like well I know you're sort of kinky if you want to try this fetish and fantasy house and like I went in and I was on the cover of the local sex rag the week that I graduated so, hey, friends and family, on every corner, there you can see me.
0: <laughs> That's a great story.
2: Did they ask you, did anyone ask you about it? No, they like, I've always been like, hey, guess what I'm doing? And they're like, <laughs> cool. I don't want to hear this.
1: So one of the things we were talking about in the first half are myths and myths that we want to dispel around sex and sexuality. Are there myths about dominatrix work that you would like to dispel?
2: So many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so I worked in a house. I- I'll just start shooting out myths okay. that I have watched <laughs> be broken. First off, I started out in a house. I couldn't wait for my like legs to sprout out. And I would f- suddenly go from five foot four to like six foot because like all doms are like tall and I'd have to be blonde, of course. And I would finally learn how to be cool, calm and collected. And that has never, ever happened because, oh my God, that's not the only way professional dominatrixes are. Um, I was waiting for me to get an adult sense of humor. And unfortunately, 24 years later, I still have the sense of humor of a 12, year old. Um, I watched women who were not traditionally beautiful out book, out last, out play, out earn women that were stunning because those women were confident and self-assured and kinky. And you can be beautiful in this industry. You can be beautiful any time traditionally attractive. But if you're not self-confident, people see that. Um, so it was just, it was a real eye opener to just see how much like self-confidence would take people. Um, and I think especially in sex, it's easier for people to be like, you know, I want to date somebody that like looks like that and that people are going to be like, Oh, you're dating this hot girl, but in sex work, it's easier for people to be like, "No, I really want like this kink fulfilled, this like sensation, and like this personality, and like go for that." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, when I was younger and starting out, and s- like that was just like mind blowing for me mm-hmm. to like watch people who were just like so pretentious in the outside world like come in and be like i want that person there and you're just like what why not me i'm little and cute and they'd be like you're insecure and i'd be like yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's such an important lesson i feel like that's something that comes up for me almost daily with clients is is Mm -hmm. that confidence piece people are so worried that you know this one thing about my body or this one wrinkle or those three pounds and that's gonna be a make or break for someone's attraction and it really does come down to that confidence and selling whatever you're working with and being happy in your skin
2: yeah like when you're naked with somebody and you know trust me you're the only person that's looking at those dimples on your Mm -hmm. hips (laughs) they are Mm -hmm. like i'm with a naked person (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. In, in my experience, both my, in my own life and with clients, like that's always what I hear. Like they're just so happy that somebody is there. Like someone, has, <laughs> someone is in my bedroom doing the sexy things like that. Yeah. Is, like, and 99% like, <laughs> of the battle. Yeah. Letting go and
2: enjoying it and not worrying about, you know, your like scars and stuff that you are the only person that sees. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Mm-hmm. so that that myth of like how a Dom looks was really dispelled for you.
2: Totally dispelled. Yeah. Um totally dispelled. Like I um I know DOMs that I, I like I do like I wear vintage slips. Um I know DOMs that only wear latex, and I know DOMs that just pretty much only wear jeans and t-shirts and like like from what people wear to even what they do um I just had a client apologize because they're like after the session they were like I'm so sorry I have a confession I don't think that I'm just submissive sometimes I think I might like to be dominant too and then you're just like well yeah most people are actually switches yeah Yeah. (laughs) you don't have to apologize like you know Talk to me about it. I'm not going to be submissive to you, but like, I can tell you where to find
0: mm-hmm. and how to be a good dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, that, that goes so well with the things we've been talking about where you have that, like this breadth of like, it's not just this category of like, you are just submissive or you're just dominant or you're just this, or you're just that, yeah. like the, the, the conversation and the ability to flow back and forth in between different ways of being and expressing
2: Oh yeah, totally. I like to think of it as a scale where like six is completely dominant and one is, you know, completely submissive. And there are people who are six or ones, but Mm -hmm. most people fall in between. So, and then you, you know, with fetish, then you put every single fetish (laughs) on that same scale. And then you
1: have like this big,
2: like poinsettia. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. So. So when you say fetish, are you referring to sort of the more clinical sense, like something that somebody requires to get off Mm -hmm. or is it more often just like a general interest a kink something that people find hot or do you end up working with both
2: um i actually probably work with both but i um definitely don't keep to a clinical Mm -hmm. um definition where it's something that you require to get off um i think that everybody has a fetish or fantasy um and I like to explore them. I don't think that, uh, you know, there needs to be a clinical, mm-hmm. certainly not in my line of work. <laughs>
0: yeah. So speaking of, we, we were talking before we started recording and we had a couple topics come up and speaking of myths, we mm-hmm. were starting the introduction or talking about this show bonding yeah bonding on Netflix Don't and watch it. <laughs> sorry. we sorry. could spend the whole episode time. we're not gonna do that, but like tell us like tell us what was going on, like these myths or what's like what's going on in the media right now. We've got some media topics to cover.
2: oh my God, I, um so bonding, um I think I'm gonna feel the same way about bonding. I haven't actually watched it. hopefully by the time this comes out. I will have actually sat down and watched it. There's so many things to do. Sitting and watching that is not one of them I want to do, but I understand so many people are talking about it and bringing it up to me that I I need to. Um, I think it's just like Fifty Shades of Grey where it is bringing topics out for people to talk about and giving people language to talk about kinks where maybe they didn't have it before. I think that Fifty Shades of Grey was great for that. Um, it also Fifty Shades is also, you know, it's wealth porn. It's not actually BDSM porn. Um, if you put that same story in a trailer outside of Seattle instead of a high-rise, then it would be an episode of CSI. Um, I have a feeling that bonding is going to be the same way, but unfortunately it goes... In- just reinforces all the stereotypes about um, consent and communication. Um, It makes people with uh, fetishes um, and submissive urges to be the butt of jokes. Um, It sounds like this person is not doing proper negotiation, that there's a lot of bullying of people, including her friend, into doing things that they're not comfortable doing.
0: Well, what I, yeah, I mean, that really stuck out. So I, I did watch it, I admitted. <laughs> well, and I watched it, I watched the first episode or two, and there's like, I just have to finish this because I'm just like, this is really pissing me off. And I need to I hate like, watch, like, it. watch it. <laughs> and they're really short episodes, actually. But that, I mean, there's so, many, I mean, I could go on and on talking about it, but the piece, like you said, the consent. So there was never, I did not see one scene that mm-hmm. ha- showed negotiation and consent not one. Um, she, the main character, um, and with her, uh, business partner, he, well, at first they weren't even business partners. He just like coerced him into doing Mm -hmm. this. And so there wasn't, there was no demonstration of, of him like consenting to doing this. He just kind of did it. And, um, and she's not even good at what she does on I haven't television. watched it but
2: I have heard so many times that there's a rope bondage scene it's awful that is awful it's oh awful. no, no I'm, like, I'm
1: definitely not watching it <laughs> No, you're gonna have to watch it too. (laughs) (laughs) This is the post that I did. (laughs) This is our scene that we do. You're gonna tie me down and watch this show. Then I can actually watch it. But see, people
2: are gonna ask us about it, and we have to give an educated, like, and I only take it so far. I only watched the first Fifty Shades. I read the first one. I bought the second book, and then was like, I can't, I can't.
0: can't." Mercy. Well, what I liked about it, so what they were, what 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 did access it, and then I feel like the piece that I did like about it, which wasn't even about bond with, was not BDSM specific, but what I did like about it, and then it got really overshadowed by all the things that are horrible about it, which is the character, the um, the best friend who's gay, it's really not, really not cis heteronormative because they bring in the the people that are um the why can't i think (laughs) the people that are coming to get the services the people the customers who are coming in they show these men who identify at first or seem you know hetero you know like a, Mm -hmm. a dude with a woman in bed and 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 then you see them with this gay man um, doing sexual acts mm-hmm. with a man. And so that's really nice to see. Like that's the one like piece I can take out of it is like, oh, well, it's not super cis heteronormative. That was nice to see, you know, gay men and, and you know, sexual like really positive ways. So that piece was, and, and it makes sense because mm-hmm. I, I was reading in the Rolling Stones article today that, it, that the writer is the gay man and it, then the story mm-hmm. is actually based on his experience. And so his character is the most honest and most interesting and likable and it makes sense because that that's based on the writer (laughs) yeah but that's the only redeeming quality that I can find
2: yeah it would have been nice if they could have had a just somebody from the kink it's not like we're not all here and available to like fill them in on a couple of little things and maybe So
1: on the topic of myths and something that you brought up as a part of this show, you mentioned that they make sort of being the submissive the butt of a joke. And something that comes up for me a lot when I'm teaching Kink 101, this just came up when Mm -hmm. I was teaching this in colleges, is that there are these stereotypes around submissives or bottoms that somehow being on the receiving role of anything is like that is the shameful side of something to be on or that is... And, you know, obviously this is rooted in a lot of sexism and the idea of being receptive and as though that is also passive or less than. Um, By the look on your face, I assume you have some opinions about this? (laughs) (sighs) Um, I absolutely... Like, all pop culture makes
2: submission fetishes. Like, it's, like, actually in most sexuality, like, is the butt of the joke. It's Mm -hmm. never... um, it's just, yeah, it's like, ha-ha, look at them. They're When in reality, like, people coming to me to explore their submission, their submission is a gift to me. Like, their submission, like, that takes strength to, like, look inside yourself and be like, you know, I need to explore this part of myself. I need to, you know, just put all the pop culture jokes aside and, like, be honest mm-hmm. with myself and, like, it, you know, that's that takes so much strength and it's so amazing and it's so beautiful to have people come in and explore that side of themselves. And almost every, like, I'll just say nine times out of ten because there's always going to be that, you know, outlier. Um, most people see me and I've seen people that didn't come to see me until they were, like, 70. Mm-hmm they, they always say, I don't know why I didn't do this earlier.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm like, I know why you didn't, because it's funny to all your friends, Mm -hmm. you know? And access to sexual exploration is not something a lot of people have. I mean, it's a slightly different flavor, but people land in my office into their seventies as well saying, Mm -hmm. I've never had the kind of sex I want to have. How do I meet people? How do I do this? Yeah. Which is on the one hand, a great that it's never too late to start Mm -hmm. and also if you feel safe and able start now yes now's a good time (laughs) (laughs) so you and I both put out books last year and I know we've Mm -hmm. we've talked shop a little bit about that and, and commensurated about how much work that
0: is? Do you want to tell us a little bit I more know. about? I know I'm in awe of the you right now because I can't even imagine what it takes to put out a book. I think that's uh, so, so amazing.
2: My book, so your book is like all like intelligent and researched and like fancy. and like, you know, your book my book is, is perfectly like- fancy. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> my book is just it's like high rattle low brow. It's good. It's just so different. Um my book took nine months to to. Right. It is um information that's based on the questions that came to me in coaching and online from women who are just curious about uh exploring kink. Um it's paired together with color pages and word finds and mazes and all kinds of I actually had a word editor and a puzzle editor. Um and uh you can find it on Amazon. I'm kidding, you can't. It's shadow
1: band. Um we will put direct links in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, I printed out little
2: flyers and brought them home. And my husband was like, why don't you have available on Amazon on here? I was like, oh, damn it. I just had 500 of these printed. It's going to like, ah. And all I had to do was wait two months and be like, nope, they're perfect now. Does not say you can be finding out on Amazon. Wait, wait, what is,
0: you're saying it was shadow banned? Yeah. Like it was...
1: So let's, let's dig into a little bit what's happening around sex and sexuality on the internet. So even on Mm -hmm. Amazon, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Uh, you, if you search for, uh, kinky sex tips for curious girls, um, depending on, you know, what else has been added to Amazon, you get Uh everything from, um, hair care to, uh, for a while it was a double ended dildo. Mm
0: hmm.
2: Hmm. Oh, but yeah, you can't find my book. Um, if you Google, if you, uh, Amazon, if, if you Google on Amazon, uh, if you search for my name, you can find my, another book that I wrote and
1: you can go to the author page and then you can go and find it. So we have the technology. I have just looked this up and you're right. Searching for the exact title does not bring up your book, but it brings up other books, and I don't want to give free publicity to any to anyone, but that seem uh, far more explicit
2: than yeah. your book. So, there's, yeah. So often
1: there's like romance novels. Okay. To and... be fair, one of them is actually called explicit, uh, <laughs> with a great deal of implied nudity and sex acts on the cover. So,
2: so I don't know why mine is shadow band because mine is education, mm-hmm. um, and it's like. Yeah.
0: It's, so it's, yes, you're not sure. I mean, you're not no. sure if it's because and there's tips or I mean, tips who sex. do you
2: reach out to? Like, I have a friend, um, August, who wrote Girl Boner, and Girl Boner was shadow banned for a while. She's got a publicist, publicist and um, she had a huge campaign and finally was able to get it back on Amazon, unshadow banned. I don't know. <laughs> The light shined on it. I don't, I don't know, like things are never unshadow banned. So there's never, there's just not a word for that, I guess.
0: So we yeah, we were going to talk more about, um, this leads perfectly into what we were going to talk about, which is the. Stella, why don't you intro it? Because I <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, you and I got into this conversation after class the other night and I wanted to do it. Might have been the- during class. I got on my soapbox and had to be physically <laughs> drug off. We so had one people. <laughs> yeah, got us like the two that. of us in the room and we have feelings <laughs> about things. Um, so it's getting really difficult, like let alone, you know, things like sex work, but also again, educational books, sex educators, trying to advertise Any of this content anywhere on the internet from shadow banning on Twitter and Amazon to having content and ads banned on Facebook and Instagram to people's accounts being pulled. You can't advertise adult stuff on Reddit And we've lost Tumblr. So do you want to just like fill us in a little bit on like the hows and the whys and the what nows? (laughs) Um, So about a year ago, there was...
2: um, a law called FASTA sesta uh, passed. Um, unfortunately, so what it is is basically if you host anything on the internet, you are responsible if there happens to be um, sex trafficking involved. So if somebody is using your service to traffic victims, um, you are responsible. It doesn't matter how big your platform is. It doesn't matter how distant, how like underground that sex trafficking was. You are responsible. What this did was um, force a lot of people, a lot of companies, to take anything down that could be used for sex trafficking. Uh, Backpage, um, Craigslist were two of the first to go uh, that most people who aren't in sex work would know about. Um the 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 disappointing thing here is that uh, those
1: sites were also used to find victims of sex trafficking. Right. That's important to note, because when we say like, oh, we're making it harder for there to be sex trafficking, that sounds like a good thing. And I think we're all pretty on board with that. But the way the law is actually functioning, it means that the ways they were able to do stings and find sex traffickers and save victims is now not happening and instead what is happening is people have less access to sex ed and sex workers are in far more dangerous positions because and they can't the screen clients. are being
2: pulled further and further underground. Yeah. So
1: um, yeah,
0: it's not actually helping anything. It's no. not
2: helping anything. Um, oh God, my head just explodes when I start talking about this and I'm like, and I don't know which t- direction to go into first. I think that unfortunately there was a lot of... Uh, A lot of people that were the only people that were really because everybody else is like, oh, yeah. And sex trafficking. Like, let's pass FOSTA SESTA. Uh, The only people that were like, hey, wait a minute, were the sex workers. And the sex workers were like, hey, but that's going to affect us. And that like is not going to help them. And that's going to affect us. Unfortunately, nobody listens to sex workers. And I think that if we had stopped talking about it affecting sex workers and started just pointing out the fact that it was taking these victims further underground. Yeah. And it was not actually helping that if we had not mentioned, oh, yeah, and then we're going to die. Yeah. Because, you know, that's what ends up happening. There's no way for sex workers to, like, all of the places that it used to be easy to check um, references for clients are gone. Um, and it's also forcing a lot of, you know, sex workers like myself are privileged in that I have a website, I can afford a website, I can afford a phone, I can afford to turn clients down. Other women who were doing survival sex work on Craigslist and advertising on Backpage um, are now, unfortunately, just doing it on the street. So they're not able
1: to, you know, all of their safety net is gone, and sex workers of color and trans sex workers are being disproportionately affected. And you're not Definitely. just being dramatic when you say this no. means people die. That We have the statistics of the, the are spike dying. in rate of people actually so, getting yeah. killed. And
2: it's the trafficking victims are also, there's no way to get them anymore. It's not like their trafficker can advertise them for sex And the FBI can, like, use facial recognition software, which is what used to happen. Mm -hmm. And they used to find them on Redbook and, um, you know, Craigslist and all of these places. And it's just really unfortunate that um, it's—there's so many things going on now that people are just like, ah. I, I don't even want to hear about FOSTA, SESTA, yeah. like until it affects them, until, you know.
0: Yes, until it affects the person, because it seems like in the past year, it's become even now people are noticing it more because of the censorship that it's mm-hmm. created. Right. Yes. When we lose Tumblr and people don't have their easy access to porn,
1: suddenly more, more folks are saying, hey, hey, what happened? Why, why is this happening? But then they're happening? just looking,
2: you know, I think it's going to have to hit them where it hurts and it's going to have to be. I've been married too long. I don't even know what any of the hookup sites are anymore. Um, but as, <laughs> Tinder. Soon as, as soon as like Tinder and those sites, because, mm-hmm. you know, women are going to advertise somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, sex workers, not just women, are going to advertise. See, I police myself. I'm bad, but I... I try. Um, people, sex workers are going to advertise themselves. And when they run out of places to advertise themselves, you know, they're going to start turning to places like that. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to get shut down. And I'm waiting for one of those to get shut down. Mm-hmm. And then maybe people will, like pull their head out of their butt and be like, I'm never going to have random sex again. If I don't pay attention to politics yeah which is the worst like politics is the biggest boner killer so <laughs> it's hard to
0: get people to like no really it's gonna talk about it yeah well and you'd mentioned well and this in so when we think about this piece like all the places that it touches and censorship you know it was interesting because you were saying going back to this bonding is that because it's a tv or netflix show you're talking about the, the the blue check mark yeah
2: so twitter gives a blue check mark to anybody
0: who has
2: a twitter account that um is a person of interest notoriety it shows that they're really that person people get them who are big stars people get them who are sex educators oh but that's right they don't give out the blue check marks anymore and they especially probably mm, they're especially not giving them to sex educators or sex workers but the mistress from bonding has a brand new account with a blue check mark on it which is really like messed up because Twitter at the same time is like shadow banning actual sex workers
0: yeah so but they're giving a blue check mark to an actor who's Badly portraying. Very badly.
2: Well, and then somebody else brought up, and I think it might have been in the, in the Rolling Stone article, that not only is this just uh, sort of crapping on people's fetishes and they're, you know, shaming people for having those interests, um, there was worry that it's going to make it, like, sort of, make sex work sort of glamorous in a way that it's not. To women who want uh, to try sex work um, and to be a pro dom and they're going to think, well, you know, I don't actually have to like vet my clients before I see them because they're just like, you know, joke people who just, you know, are, I don't even know, but it just, it doesn't provide a realistic, like she's not providing herself a safe space no. emotionally or physically. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it's just, yeah, my words go and I get like, well, so the (laughs) access that this is being
0: given is very, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's making it potentially harmful for people because it's done in such a blase way and not consent informed. And it's portraying in a way that, yeah, it can be very hurtful is what Mm -hmm. you're saying, because it's not demonstrating what, true, consensual BDSM yeah, Not at all. scenes look like?
2: Um, BDSM scenes, there's a lot of negotiation, a lot of talk. People basically create a, an arena in which to play where they talk about the things that they're okay playing with, um, the things that they might be okay with, soft limits, and then things that they're not okay playing with. Um, and those are hard limits. Hard limits would be something like I have asthma, um, breathing issues, so I don't do any kind of breath play. Uh soft limit might be something like, well, you know, I've always wanted to be forced to suck another man's cock since bonding does that. Um, but it would have to be in like the right situation um, and, you know, with trust and just everything built up. So those are soft limits. So any BDSM scene starts with negotiating all of those limits and then you play within that arena there's safe words so that um the way i like to oh talk god there's about a part where
0: she does start it's just, she like literally laughs at the i just remember this part where she laughs and doesn't honor the safe word oh, okay. and they laugh about the safe word mm. that was like horrible now
2: safe words are so important um I use yellow and red. Mm-hmm. People can use those safe words anytime they're going anyplace mentally, physically, psychologically that they don't want to go and they're not comfortable using their safe word. Yellow um, is going to slow things down. Uh, yellow is a way to let me know that like, their right wrist is you know, starting to hurt um red is going to stop things we're going to talk we're going to talk about what's going on and then we will discuss how and if we move back into the scene so those safe words give the submissive power to control what's happening around them i like to tell people that hitting a safe word doesn't mean anybody has done anything wrong it means that the two of you have found a boundary you've found an edge that's so important in bdsm and how people react to that like the top honors the safe word and creates a safe space because that allows the bottom to, to understand that they can take it a little bit further the next time because their top is gonna honor that safe word.
1: Um, Um, we want those no's we want to find the edges because it builds trust between the players and if you know where the edges are you can play right up to them which is where a lot of the juicy stuff is Mm -hmm. you can trust the yeses more if you know somebody is saying no or using their safe words and not just going along for the ride or trying to please you yes oh my god and then that goes into the whole
2: consent where a top mm-hmm. needs to understand consent and whether their bottom is consenting. And are they consenting because they feel like they can't say no, or they feel like they're consenting because they are just so eager to please you that they're afraid you won't play with them. Um, are they consenting because they got nothing else to do that day? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and so all of these pieces, like, I'm just thinking, I- I'm, I'm totally, super interested in everything you're saying and listening and and, and like, and it circles back all of this talk, then what is allowed and not allowed on the internet circles back to this myth. And the internet right now is perpetuating the myth because this person is allowed to show these pictures. And this actress very much depicts this stereotype of a cis white hetero young female who like that's what's allowed like you're allowed to see this person but but people that don't look like this mm-hmm. are being censored left and right so it's perpetuating this horrific myth among all the other horrible horrible things that's going on censorship wise
1: yeah and this has been happening on Instagram for a while. They'll pull photos of plus size people in bikinis and not slender people in bikinis. Yeah, it's not only is it horrible censorship, but it is, yeah, enforcing particular societal standards of of what is and isn't a good body or an appropriate sexuality. So perpetuating
0: patriarchy and, and mm-hmm. the term the male gaze. Mm-hmm. like Perpetuating the male gaze, yes. yes. Um, Instagram is especially bad uh, about two
2: weeks ago. My how time flies when you're um two weeks ago, they decided that uh, they would close accounts and take down stuff that was not appropriate.
0: And how do they de- do they list out what is deemed appropriate or inappropriate? Nope. Completely subjective.
2: It's completely subjective to whoever happens to be
1: behind the wheel that day. And this is something that um internet trolls are then using. They they gang up on people they want to silence on the internet and report their accounts for adult content. Whether or not that's true, they'd had campaigns where they pulled ASMR videos off of YouTube because women were, you know, having a business and making money and it was people like brushing their hair. it's, It's really bad. And then they will um,
2: post screenshots of the account being shut down, the shutdown account, the missing account, and brag about the fact How that they they, shut ha- it down. they had it shut down because they can, because those rules are so just... They're not rules. <laughs> like So they can just have you shut down because they want to. So now every sex worker I know, even a lot of sex educators, um, just sort of live in fear of having that happen because you can't, There, you can't follow the rules because there's no rules there. You can just wait for them to shut you down.
1: Yeah, this is people's yeah. livelihoods at stake. I mean, yeah. I I am a very high anxiety person, but I have literally had wake up in the middle of the night anxiety dreams about having my Instagram or Facebook account shut down because that is such a huge way I do business and find students for my classes, oh my God, and I'm just trying to put good information about sex ed out in the world, and yep. it is so hard. I
0: know. Well, and even even with the podcast, we were questioning whether or not to, with the relaunch, whether we should change the name, simply changing a name because of the word sex like worried yeah. about when we're posting when you know when we're talking about events coming up or anything coming up even just using the word sex yeah Maybe oh yeah word that's oh. gonna be censored no totally so what do people do about this like this is a
1: huge bummer but you know what can people do we're moving into an election cycle i am seeing on twitter people you know Basically saying that none of the, you know, next contenders for president are any good on sex worker issues, but that doesn't mean you throw in the towel and give up on people. Right. So let's like start writing to people. Let's reach out. Let's have a platform. Let's tell folks this matters and we want to work on these issues and please take a stand on these things. So
2: there's a great book, uh, my friend Elisa Camahort Page, um, "Roadmap for Revolutionaries: Resistance, Activism, and Advocacy for All." It is an amazing book. No matter like if you're not somebody who wants to go to a rally, um, but you're okay talking on the phone. Uh, if you're somebody who, you know, works in a company and sees things that are wrong with the way things work in your company and you want it more inclusive. uh, She just goes over all of these amazing ways for you to get involved at your level. Um, That
0: sounds fantastic. It is. I love it. It's an amazing book. Great. Thank you for that resource. We really, really appreciate you coming in today.
2: Oh my God. And
0: getting to talk about this really, really important topic. And what we, you know, that's the, you know, one of the things that at least we can do is be, broadcasting this and talking about it before we finish up i'd like would you like to share any like some upcoming things that you're working on or some things you want to make sure the audience knows about
2: um i think everybody should just go to sabrosa and see what kind of fun events we have coming up if you don't see something that represents you on our event calendar please please reach out to us because we have an amazing array of instructors and we can find classes that will represent you, so.
0: And when
1: you're interested in that kind of content, remember to reach out directly, go to the websites, join email lists, join lists, and join the Sub Rosa mailing list, join my mailing list, the podcast mailing list, all of them, because for now, that's slightly more reliable than social media. Also, tell your friends if you can have these conversations with friends, share on your own pages, the classes that you think are great, the educators that you think are great, the podcasts (laughs) you want folks to have, like, remember that that kind of word of mouth is essential
2: yeah please please oh, if you see something that you think a friend would like don't be shy don't be like oh I don't know if they're gonna think of me if I like send them this link no they're gonna love you send it to them <laughs> excellent Yay, thank you thank you so much for coming to chat thank with thank you us. so much for having me You're like go rage walk now <laughs> <laughs> walk it off walk it
0: off
1: <laughs> And that's the episode.
0: Remember to follow our podcast, Hearts and Other Sex Parts, on iTunes and SoundCloud. We are also on Instagram and Facebook as Hearts and Other Sex Parts. Feel
1: free to write us feedback or
0: questions by direct messaging our Instagram or Facebook pages
1: or by emailing us at heartsandothersexparts at gmail.com. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.